Hey, this is Noah Levine, founder of Against the Stream, Refuge Recovery, and Dharma Punks. Thanks for tuning in to the podcast. I hope you're enjoying the Dharma. Together, may we create a positive change on this planet. If you feel moved to leave a donation, there's a link in the show notes. May our paths cross soon. Welcome, everybody. Uh, anybody here for the first time tonight? Welcome. Welcome, welcome. Welcome. Welcome to anybody uh, joining us on Zoom for the first time tonight. I've been in a um, series in the last few weeks, the four foundations of mindfulness. This is the core meditation instructions from the Buddha on how to see clearly, be mindful of reality as it is and see through some of our confusions and delusions and habits of mind that create suffering for us. And we're on the fourth foundation tonight, which is uh, mindfulness of, of what's true, what's true about our experience, what's true about the mind and the present time experience. So I'll offer some meditation instructions on this fourth foundation tonight. How important is the truth to you? Question for you, not to answer, but just to reflect on how important is, is the truth? I know for myself that um, one of the reasons why I landed in Buddhism and not some other spiritual traditions is because my own uh, shopping of spiritual traditions um, led me to feel like I wasn't being told the truth in most religions and that it didn't offer a direct path to experiencing the truth. And one of the things that really drew me in about and, and my own craving for truth and every religion, every spiritual path says, what we're telling you is the truth. <laughs> uh, this is the truth. The Bible, it's the truth. The Quran, it's the truth. Uh, the Bhagavad Gita, it's the truth. Buddhism, it's the truth. And so can, you know, all of us who have a little bit of healthy skepticism can be a little like, why should we believe Buddhism? How come Buddhism's truth is better than the Judeo-Christian truth that we were told was the truth that we rejected in some way or another, probably, or the Hindu or the Islamic or the whatever other um, truths, uh, the great Western religion of science. It's the truth. Um, I felt like when I started, and I don't, I don't want to get too far into this, I, I guess it's just the question for you of like, how important is it? Because I feel like it's why I'm continuing to practice and continuing to, uh, is because I want to, I really deeply want to know what's true about my own mind, about my reactive tendencies, <laughs> about uh, about reality, about the world, about, about the human condition. I really 
want to not only know, like knowledge, know what's true, but live in harmony with the truth. And this fourth um, foundation of mindfulness is, is pointing towards this uh, capacity of us to know the truth directly for ourselves, not based on faith not based on believe it, but meditate on and see clearly for yourself what is true and what is not true. Develop that kind of discernment, that kind of wisdom, that kind of inner knowing. And again, this is one of the ways that Buddhism, I think, is quite different than um, some other traditions that encourage us to just believe. Oh, thank you. You're hired. <laughs> Ward is the official assistant now. <laughs> but sit farther away so you have to walk. Um, this promise that, you know, Buddhism, I think every religion, every spiritual path says, you know, this is the truth. Buddhism has this promise that says, um, you don't have to believe any of this, but if you do this, you will understand the truth for yourself, not based on faith, but based on direct experience. You will see through your own awareness what is true and what is not. You will have discernment, you will have wisdom, directly experienced, not, um, not faith-based, but experiential. I feel a bit attached to um, the truth and I feel quite, I'm sure this is some of my childhood wounds or um, trauma, whatever we wanna call it, but I feel quite uh, offended by being lied to and um, spiritual paths that I feel like are lying. I feel offended by <laughs> like, I know I'm, I'm Buddhist and I'm not supposed to take it personal. Um, but it's like, it's one of the places where I find myself quite attached to knowing what's true and to uh, calling bullshit on what's bullshit and not pretending. Um, anyways, I'm going to go into this a lot tonight. And uh, but I, this is a, a attempt to get you, I want you to talk to each other for a minute. How important is the truth to you? And And I guess part of the question is, is it important? And then do you actually believe you can experience the truth, the like capital T spiritual awakened truth about reality? Uh, do, you, do you think you can get there through your own meditation practice? Meditation practice as a path to the Dhamma, Dhamma, what we call Dharma uh, is the truth. And that we can get there through our own efforts in this lifetime. Do you believe it? Do you have that kind of faith that you can do it, you can see reality and respond wisely to reality and see through the confusion that the mind creates. So how important is it to you and how much confidence do you have that you can do it through your own practice, not through belief, not through anybody else's practice, not through anything but your own effort? that you can get there. That's my question for you. So talk to some people in the room uh, about your relationship to 
truth, the big spiritual truths, reality, and, and your confidence about being able to experience it directly. So find some people, talk to them, introduce yourself. This is a way to meet some people. The whole point of mindfulness is to uh, see clearly what's true about our direct moment-to-moment experience and learn to respond to what's true. See, just seeing what's true isn't enough because sometimes it would be like, I'm so mindful of how much I'm suffering, how attached I am. So then we have to take it to the next step, which is seeing what's true and letting go, responding, the antidote to suffering, bringing compassion, bringing forgiveness, bringing non-attachment, seeing the impersonal nature of what the mind is doing. But the, the core of it is what's happening right now. And so we use the breath. Am I breathing in or am I breathing out? What's, what's happening in the body? What sensations are here? First foundation, breath, body. Second foundation, uh, not only what's happening right now, but how does it feel? Is my perception of whatever I'm being aware of pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral? The sensations in my body, how many of them are pleasant sensations? And what's my relationship? How am I responding to that pleasure? How attached am I? How much craving is there for it to be more pleasant, more comfortable? How much pain is there? And how much resistance, aversion am I meeting the unpleasantness with? What's our relationship to neutrality? So that's the first foundation, body. Second foundation, feeling tone. Third foundation we did last week. What's your mind doing? What do you, what's the mood? What's the attitude? What, what thoughts are coming through? We talked about the train of thoughts, being mindful. And there's a big trap for meditators of using mindfulness, using meditation as an avoidance technique to avoid your mind. Get real concentrated and tune out, transcend it. And it feels good, right? So, but it's a huge trap to miss the third foundation and say, I just want to meditate away from my fucking mind because it's judgmental and it's critical and it's, it causes all of this suffering for me. But Buddhist mindfulness, third foundation, turn towards your mind. And the fourth foundation where we're going to go tonight Um, is asking us like, okay, you're here, you're in your body, you're present with the feeling tones, you're aware of the thoughts and patterns and repetitive tendencies of your mind. Now we draw back to what's true, the Dhamma, what's what's the truth of this present moment? If you're suffering, name it, ah, this is suffering, I'm attached, I'm suffering. Maybe you can see the attachment, name that, oh, clinging. Look at how attached the mind is to this story, to this memory, to this fantasy, this plan. And then also in the moments when there's no suffering, mindfulness of nibbana, nirvana. There are moments where you're fully enlightened. Do you have any fully enlightened moments today? Fully enlightened just means... I wasn't resisting what was happening. And there's probably lots throughout your day. One of the teachers I like talks about it. He calls it uh, 
average, ordinary, uh, mini nibbanas that are happening every day. There's those moments where I'm not resisting, I'm not clinging, I'm not in craving, I'm not in self-centered fear. I'm just at ease with what is. Hopefully you have some of those moments every day, maybe lots of them. Usually we fuck them up rather than enjoying the ease, the peace, we're going looking for trouble, get into some desire, get into some fear, get into some, this is pretty good, but it would be better with whipped cream or gravy or salt or more hot sauce or whatever it is like, right? Like I can't just accept this delicious experience as it is. It needs more jalapenos. <laughs> I can't just accept this chair that I'm sitting on comfortable enough. The mind says it'd be better if there was a mem memory foam would be better. So I'll go through the instructions. The um, traditional instructions here is a lot, so I probably won't be able to go through all of it. It's mindfulness of the Four Noble Truths, suffering, the cause of suffering, uh, the absence, the cessation of suffering. It's mindfulness of the five hindrances. When craving is present, knowing this is craving. When aversion is present, knowing this is aversion, anger, resentment. When restlessness or, or sloth is present, or doubt has arisen, being mindful, oh, this is what doubt is like, rather than being in it and incarnating as doubt and believing your mind, being mindful, oh, this is doubt. My mind is doubting myself again, or doubting, maybe doubting the Dharma. I'm not sure if this shit works. I've been meditating for three weeks. I'm not so sure about this stuff. Not working very well, very fast. It's also in the fourth foundation, this practice, that the Buddha um, says, also be mindful when the awakening factors are present. Uh, when the mind is, when mindfulness, mindfulness is one of the factors. Oh, this is mindfulness. Present time, non-judgmental awareness is like this. I'm here. I'm not in the future. I'm not in the past. I'm here. Concentration is like this. The ability to focus the attention. Um, sometimes uh, non-sensual happiness, sukha, uh, joy will arise. And you're just sitting here meditating and you're like, wow, I'm so fucking happy for no reason. I'm experiencing joy and I'm just sitting here <laughs> and be mindful that like, oh, this is that kind of, you might call spiritual happiness, joy that has no sensual source. It's not like something delicious is being consumed or some sense pleasure is being experienced or some material thing has been obtained just coming from your own heart and mind, joy. Mindfulness of that, rapture, equanimity. All of these different experiences that we have in meditation, be mindful. And I like to say, uh, and you can play with it in your meditation, is like this, mindfulness feels like this, your direct experience of mindfulness. The concentrated mind is like this. Joy feels like this, and because it, it's this 
direct experience rather than the idea of what we're supposed to be experiencing or suffering. This is suffering. Fucking hate it. Pain. And I hate my pain. It's like this. It's tight. It's hot. It's rigid in your body, in your heart, in your mind. So find a way, be, be comfortable, upright, relaxed. Find your meditative posture. Tara, I think we could probably turn the AC off. It's cool enough for now, and then it'll get hot. Pleasant, unpleasant, neutral. Thank you, Tara. So find a way to be, let your eyes be closed. Let your body be upright and relaxed. Present time awareness, start with your body, mindfulness of body sitting, sensations of the breath. Go right into the investigation of what is pleasant. What are you perceiving as? agreeable in this moment, any sensations in the body, thoughts, feelings. What is unpleasant? Difficult emotions or thoughts or sensations. It's always good to spend the first few minutes just gathering the attention with the body, letting go of the past, the busyness of the day, letting go of the future, plans, hopes and fears. Direct our full awareness to the breath entering and exiting the body sitting.
opening to what your mind is doing, mindfulness, awareness of the mind, awareness of the body, awareness of the emotions that are here, if any. The intention is to become fully present with your direct experience, physical, emotional, mental, aware of how the mind wanders, the monkey mind swinging to the future and past, but awareness doesn't go anywhere. Awareness always is here. beginning to investigate in this broader way, asking yourself, what's true about this moment? What can I know is true about my direct experience right now? If you're not experiencing total peace in this moment, identify what's blocking it. What are we attached to or aversive towards that's making it difficult to be at ease in this moment? What cravings or fears are present?
and internally you can acknowledge it's like this. Perhaps you're becoming sleepy. Sleepiness is like this or dis discomfort, uncomfortable sensations in the body, pain is like this. Non-judgmental awareness of what's happening in the heart and the body and the mind. The sense doors of sound and smell and taste. Seeing and feeling. The human body is like this. Paying special attention to the impermanent nature, the truth of arising and passing. Thoughts constantly changing, sensations constantly changing. If you're brand new to this kind of practice and it feels confusing, just come back to the breath, back to the body here. But try to make room for everything, accepting yourself just as you are. The mind wanders, it's not your fault. the mind's nature to think.
the mind begins to settle and you experience some tranquility or some joy, equanimity. Be aware of the truth of that moment, that experience. If you incline your heart towards compassion for what's happening right now, meeting your own pain, your heart, your mind, your body with tenderness, with mercy, with acceptance, how does that change your experience? If you incline your heart, your mind to let go of anything that it's clinging to, craving for, Let go, soften your belly, relax your jaw, accept this moment just as it is. Perhaps you'll experience some ease.
the more we understand the truth of impermanence through our direct meditative investigation, the more we begin to let go and accept the impermanent nature of what's happening, whether it's pleasant or unpleasant or neutral. Developing more tolerance for the impermanent pains, more compassion. Developing more non-attached appreciation for the joy, tranquility, equanimity, the pleasant mind states that pass through, the mini nibbanas. Right now, it's like this. This is the truth of your experience. Sounds and sensations, thoughts and emotions. Pleasant and unpleasant and neutral. 
in suffering if we're clinging, resisting, craving, or not suffering when we accept the unpleasantness or the pleasantness as impermanent and not so personal. an interesting uh, experiment practice to reflect on um, what could we know is true about this moment without um, consulting memory. If you just were fully present without all of the memory and the names and the concepts and the labels of, of what we're experiencing, if you took away all of that, what would your direct experience of your mind be, your body be? What would you know is true? I heard one teacher say like, imagine you're an alien. <laughs> And you're an alien consciousness, and you've just inhabited this form, this what we call a human body. And not that you've been living in it your whole life, but if you just inhabited it right now for the first time, what would you be aware of? What would you notice? What would you feel like is true about being in this? form and experiencing these what we call sensations and emotions and activity mental activity 
because we're in it so much, we take it all so personal. But one of those tricks of uh, what if you step out of it and bring awareness to what's happening, the process of what's happening, and that process is the core truth. One of the things that we you'd be able to know uh, is the the truth that it's all a process. Everything that's happening. Have you experienced anything in meditation yet that's permanent? Have you experienced anything in life yet that's permanent? So that's one of the the dhamma that gets revealed. The truth is like it's all it's all arising and passing, and it's it's one of the things the Buddha says after teaching mindfulness. He says. Um, you know, in the first, and there's this refrain after all four foundations of mindfulness, where he says, um, clear awareness is present uh, and of how whatever you're paying attention to, sensations, uh, feeling tones, uh, thoughts, or this Dhamma's mind, what sometimes translated as mind objects, uh, arises and passes. Mindfulness brings you into the awareness of the impermanent, the arising and passing. Here he says, uh, the meditator beholds how the dhammas, mind objects, arise, beholds how they pass away, how uh, they're arising and passing away. Um, And through this, the extent necessary for knowledge and mindfulness lives independent, unattached to anything in the world. The, the ultimate goal of mindfulness is to see the impermanent nature. And as soon as you wake up to the impermanent nature of things, then, and, and if you desire to be free from suffering, everything is impermanent. So any attachment equals suffering. So then the whole goal is non-attached awareness of the impermanent nature of all things. Easier said than done. We all know it. You all know, like, I think uh, I should be less attached. Actually, maybe you all don't. I know when I started practicing meditation, I didn't know that attachment was the cause of all my suffering. For some of, right? Some, sometimes you come in and you're like, why am I so unhappy? <laughs> Not even knowing. Oh, it's my clinging. It's the attachment. And I can actually do something about it. The second noble truth, the clinging, the craving, the attachment, and mindfulness as the solution through mindfulness, understanding impermanence, and becoming less and less attached, unattached to anything, and therefore not suffering about anything, while still having love and kindness and compassion, non-attached compassion, passion, creativity, all of the good shit stays. Just the causes of suffering diminish you know you know i think that sometimes people worry about like well fuck if i get too spiritual too non-attached i won't love anymore i won't be passionate anymore i won't become passionate anymore but the reality is uh, attachment doesn't help our loving relationships at all actually it's probably most of the conflict in your loving relationships is about clinging non-clinging, loving relationships. You don't need to be attached at all to have compassion. Non-attached, empathy, caring, 
compassionate response, then you're not suffering, you're just caring. I don't need to convince you, I'm speaking to the converted for the most part. So this fourth foundation of mindfulness, what's true? And where the Buddha starts is the Four Noble Truths, mindfulness of the first truth. The truth is everyone, every unenlightened being is experiencing suffering. It's normal. It's the status quo. It's reality. The human mind all by itself, the human body, you know, like if the alien came down into this, they'd be like, wow, there's a lot of suffering in here. <laughs> Every single, and, and no matter who they went into, not just you crazy drug addicts in my community, but everyone. The human condition is one that there is suffering as part of it because of the impermanence and the clinging and the, so we're mindful of that. Be mindful. This is, uh, and it normalizes it and helps us not take it so personal. Like it's all your fault. It's just the stat, you know, it's just how it is. Rather than feeling like you're a failure because you're suffering, first noble truth, you're a human. Of course you're suffering some. The untrained mind creates suffering all by itself. It's why we meditate. The more we meditate, the less we suffer. The more we respond wisely. The second noble truth, mindfulness of, and every time you're unhappy, ask yourself why. Now, most of the time, your mind is going to say, it's because of them. <laughs> it's because of some external situation, right? Don't you mostly blame your unhappiness on something else, someone else, some situation, the world. But if you can wake up to that delusion and be like, okay, from a Buddhist perspective, my happiness or unhappiness is not dependent on what's happening. It's how I'm reacting to what's happening. And so then we can ask ourselves, how am I reacting in a way that is creating suffering? And the second noble truth is revealed mindfulness of I'm craving. I'm in craving and that's making, I'm craving for this to be different than it is. I'm not in acceptance. I'm in craving. I'm in aversion. I'm in clinging and therefore I'm suffering. And then can I let go? And sometimes like I did in the meditation, sometimes when we incline the heart, the mind, we say, you know, try, try some compassion here friend. <laughs> Sometimes you're able to like relax into it and be, have a little bit more compassion, a little bit more empathy, a little bit more tolerance of what's happening. Sometimes the answer is no. Have you experienced that? You're like, I should have more compassion. And, but it's just not there. And it's a nice idea and it's a nice aspiration. But the reality is I don't feel compassion. I feel hatred <laughs> towards this pain towards this. I feel aversive. I, I know compassion is the solution, but I'm not there yet. And that's okay. It's a huge part of this whole path of coming to an awakened truth is having the humility to say, I'm heading, I want to go in that direction, but I'm not there yet. I want to have compassion for all of my pain and all of your pain. 
you know, I love to talk about the like compassion uh, meter, like a gauge, if you had a gauge, everyone on some level or another starts on empty. And then the more you meditate, the more you fill up your, your ability and uncover and uh, your ability to really have compassion for your own pain, to really meet your unpleasant thoughts, feelings, and sensations with friendliness, with care, with mercy. So we're mindful of the second noble truth. The cause of suffering is our craving, is our clinging, is our attachment. And then really check out this third noble truth, nirvana. Often we just talk about it as this philosophical possibility, enlightenment. Nirvana, uh, which is a term that means to um, no longer be cooking, no longer be getting burned by greed and hatred and delusion, to remove, to extinguish, to not suffer, extinguish the causes of suffering. And it's a big ideal. It's the whole goal of Buddhism. Can we get free from suffering? Yes, we want to get free from suffering. But what about those moments where it's like, I'm not free all of the time, but are there moments throughout my day where I'm free? Where I'm not burning myself by clinging or aversion or self-centeredness? Everyday, ordinary moments of Nibbana. Not suffering, non-suffering and pay attention to those and enjoy those and be mindful, ah, this, this is not suffering. It's like a weird thing to say, right? But think about it, bring that into your practice. This is, this moment right now, it's like this and I'm not suffering about it. I'm not fucking it up right now. This is amazing. <laughs> it's like a miracle. I'm not fucking it up right now. I'm really present. I'm really non-attached. I'm really not in craving in this moment. I'm in acceptance of the way it is. Usually you'll have those moments when it's pleasant enough. <laughs> you know, in the beginning, you get those mini nibbanas when you're having pleasure. And it's like, this is great. And we're forgetting, you know, it's until it starts to become too impermanent. Like, I'm not suffering at all because everything's going my way in this moment. I've got the right amount of pleasantness experienced, so I'm not suffering. The real key is when you start to see through your meditative practice, your renunciation, your Dharma practice, that you'll have more and more of those moments in the midst of pain. I'm in pain right now, and I'm not suffering about it. It's easy when life is pleasant, easier. I mean, not perfectly easy because even, even pleasant will fuck up by clinging to it. But in the midst of pain, nirvana doesn't mean the absence of pain. So part of what's being pointed towards here is the direct experience of being completely at ease in the midst of unpleasant experience. And that it's possible to do that to be in pain, emotional difficulties, unpleasant thoughts, physical unpleasant sensations, and just be completely accepting it and be not suffering. Pain, but no suffering. This is the big, one of the big um, things that we have to really understand the difference between pain and suffering. And the 
total acceptance that the unpleasantness of the human condition, unpleasant sounds and smells and tastes and sensations and emotions and thoughts are going to continue no matter how enlightened you get. Even fully enlightened, even the arahants experience pain. The fully enlightened Buddha continue to experience pain. So any idea you have about, I'm going to get so fucking spiritual that life's going to be blissful all of the time and no pain and no difficult thoughts and no difficult emotions and no difficult sensations is a delusion that we have to let go of and reframe. Our goal is I want to be at ease in the midst of pain. I want to have enough compassion, enough acceptance, enough wisdom to meet even the most unpleasant experiences with non-resistance, with non-suffering, with compassion. In the teaching, the Buddha goes on to say, you know, the, the truth, the mindfulness of what's happening here is you have a body with six sense gates, seeing hearing, smelling, tasting, thinking, and feeling. Be mindful. Oh, this is sound. Like when you're meditating and you feel like you're getting distracted by the sounds, just hearing, mindfulness of hearing, seeing, mindfulness of seeing. Seeing is like this. Sound is like this. These impermanent sounds of the traffic, the motorcycles, of the arising and passing. Sensations arising and passing. Emotions arising, sustaining, passing. Bringing mindfulness to the whole process. The five hindrances. Again, a place that I love that the Buddha normalizes. He says, if you have a human mind and you're mindful of it, you will see your mind craving. You will see your mind being aversive hating, resenting. Rather than suffering about that, just be mindful. Uh, I, I feel like there's almost a, um, uh, like a playfulness in it of like, big. my father used to say, big surprise. And he was one of my meditation teachers. You know, when your mind is judging. Oh, big surprise, judging mind again. Craving again. Big, you know, like, don't take it so fucking personal. It's just what the mind does. It judges, it craves, it fears, it worries. Oh, my mind's, how are you? My mind's worrying again. Like it does all day, all day, every day. Just with the mind, you know, just worrying about shit that I can't control. But rather than I got to stop that, just bring mindfulness to others. It. it hinders the ability to see clearly when we take it so personally craving, aversion, restlessness, and anxiousness. And it's like this, yeah, feeling kind of restless and kind of anxious. Crawling out of my skin feels like this. Breathing shallow, my heart's beating, my palms are sweating. And rather than I can't accept this, what if I just accept uh, I'm anxious? I feel restless. I feel irritable mindful of that emotional, physical experience with full acceptance. 
or sloth and torpor. I don't know how many people nodded off during meditation tonight, you know, when you're meditating and you start nodding a little bit. Just heavy, you know. And just accepting that. Oh, sloth. Feels like this. It's kind of pleasant, actually, when I don't resist it. One of my teachers, Ajahn Amaros, calls that kind of falling asleep during meditation. Poor man's nirvana. <laughs> Fall asleep a little bit, no suffering. Hopefully, unless you have some sort of night terror during your meditation. But just like, oh, this is like, cool. I'm totally no suffering. I'm out. I'm not present, but I'm also not suffering. The fifth hindrance is doubt, mindfulness of doubt. How much does your mind doubt? Self-doubt, low self-esteem, unworthiness, self-hatred. As a hindrance, as a normal part of the human mind, and I always like to remember when the Buddha is, um, has his hand down like this, touching the earth, this mudra of putting his hand down, um, it's the classic image of the Buddha on the eve of his enlightenment being attacked by Mara, which is part of our, his mind, our, the human mind. And uh, one of the last things that Mara says that the mind, his own mind says, is uh, who do you think you are? This thought of unworthiness, of self-doubt enters his mind and he touches the earth. That, that mudra of touching the earth, which, you know, is interpreted in different ways. But my favorite way uh, is that he's touching the earth and he's saying, I'm part of the four elements. The mind doesn't understand my worthiness. There's that confused part of the Mara mind. But the fact is we're all worthy. And that that's just doubt. That's just a confused part of the mind. But that, that, that as human beings, we have this, I hate to use the word divinity, seems like the wrong word, but that we have this potential to be fully awake. That there's something in us, there's a, a wisdom, a compassion, a love a, a, that's, that we can uncover. And it's not because you're special. It's not because he's the special Buddha or you're the special. It's just part of the human condition. It's actually possible to train the human mind to see clearly. Anybody can do it that puts in the work. And that the Buddha is saying, like, I put in the work. <laughs> and I'm part of this, you know, humanity, this four elements, this sentient beings. I'm not special. I'm just part of this. And in this kind of incarnation in, in, here in samsara, it's possible to free ourselves from suffering if you practice mindfulness deeply, long-term and deeply. So it's so helpful to see your doubt as just another mind state, just another thing that's arising through rather than believing it because it's so uh, persuasive and seductive to get stuck in that. I am unworthy or I am 
fucking it up or I am, and you know, sometimes there's some truth to like, oh yeah, I'm kind of fucking it up. Uh, and then there's also sometimes where it's like, nope, this is just the human condition. It's not my fault. It's just what the human mind does. The seven factors of enlightenment, this is where the kind of good news, the truth, is that if you watch your mind long enough and you meditate long enough, you will start to see not just the suffering and the causes of suffering, and you'll start to see joy. You'll start to see tranquility. You'll start to see equanimity. You'll, you'll see loving kindness and spontaneous compassion, and not where you're like trying to be compassionate, but just compassion is arising and passing through the heart and mind. And you're just aware of it. And, and the, the settledness of the mind, the tranquility of the mind, it's just happening, not all by itself. It's happening because you've been meditating and you have created the environment for tranquility to arise. There's that saying from Ajahn Chah that I love where he says, maybe we overcomplicate Buddhism and we could break all of the whole Buddhist path down to just let go, just non-attachment, let go. And he says, as you let go, and in meditation, it's a great instruction. Let go of the past. Let go of the future. Let go of needing the present moment to be any different than it is. And he says, the more you let go, the more you'll experience tranquility. And he said, the mind will just start to settle and become like a um, forest pool. He uses this image of a still forest pool, and you can kind of, he's, in the jungles of Thailand, and you can kind of imagine this kind of jungle, forest, still pool. And he says, you know, the mind will just become still like that. And then all kinds of strange and wonderful animals will come to drink from the stillness. And I think that's a really important image. As he's saying, like, you'll have tranquility, but it doesn't mean that the strange thoughts won't continue to visit or the strange emotions and the strange and wonderful aspects of being human, it's not going to get rid of that. It'll just be still when fear passes through, unaffected. I want to come back to where I kind of started earlier of this dilemma. I find myself in um, of, I really want to know what's true. And Buddhism, just like every other religion, tradition, philosophy, says, we got the truth. <laughs> we got the truth over here, two for 40. Every religion is selling the truth. And I have a serious skepticism about religion. One time the Buddha was on tour, as he often was, traveling around teaching in northern India during his life. He just sort of nine months of the year, he mostly walked around to different villages and towns and 
gave Dharma talks. He's on tour. And he shows up to a town. Um, and this, is, this town's on the circuit because he's not the only one traveling around saying, like, I found the truth. There's also a whole bunch of Hindus, uh, you know, sadhus and gurus. You know, there's, it's the guru circuit. And everyone's coming through and being like, yo, I got the fucking best truth. I, I know enlightenment. I know salvation. I know the truth. And this, this village that he comes to, they're called the Kalama people, becomes a famous teaching. And I love this. They actually confront the Buddha and they say, like, there was another guy here last week telling us that they knew the truth. And before that, there was a, you know, another tradition telling us that they knew the truth. And everybody's coming through here telling us that they have the ultimate spiritual truth. So why should we believe you? I love that. I feel like I'd be that guy. I'd be like, why should I believe you? And I love the answer, the traditional, you know, we, he says, don't believe me. He says, but... I've found this to be true for myself and I offer it to you to try, try it and see for yourself. If you're mindful of the impermanent, the impersonal, if you're present and you try to let go and you try to be compassionate and if you follow this four truths in this eightfold path, try it for yourself and trust your direct experience. Don't believe it. And he goes into a thing there where he says like, they said, well, you know, why should we believe? Uh, who should we believe? What should we believe? And he says, uh, he's, my own opinion is like, don't believe anything just because your parents believed it. Because it's like your traditional, your, your ancestors. Check it out. Like maybe, you know, maybe they were Buddhists. Maybe they were, you know, but check it out for yourself. Don't believe it just because it's your family tradition. Certainly don't believe it just because it's like written down in a sacred text whether it's, you know, the Bible or the Quran or the Buddhist suttas, just because it's written down, that doesn't mean that it's the truth. People write down all kinds of bullshit and call it truth. He said, but check it out, reflect on it. Uh, he didn't say this, but the, the feeling that I get is that he's like, um, like embody it and digest it so that you know for yourself whether or not this leads to the end of suffering. He says, when you directly know that it truly is uprooting the causes of suffering in your life, then trust that as the truth. But not based on tradition, not based on uh, charismatic presentation. Lots of people can sell you snake oil. <laughs> you know, it's easy to, you know, lots of really charismatic presentations doesn't mean it's true. You have to try it and see in your own direct experience, is it true? Is this alleviating suffering in my life? My experience so far has been um, that Buddhism hasn't steered me wrong. The more I practice, the less I suffer. The more compassion I have, the less attachment I have, the more joy I experience. And the more ability to... Uh, navigate all of the continued difficulties of life. My own experience is not like, you know, you get so sober, you start meditating and everything goes your way. <laughs> Lots of challenges. And the Dharma as 
a way to navigate it and not suffer so much about the difficulties that continue in our human life. So you have to find your own way with the truth. Um, and I invite a healthy sense of skepticism about all spiritual and religious teachers and teachings. And then kind of this tricky balance of open-mindedness and, but also discernment. And even in Buddhism, one of the, things I didn't really realize I was going to be doing um, because all Buddhism is not the same. And um, I really had such a, you know, and continue to have uh, such a great experience of practicing Buddhism, but there's lots of different traditions. And I checked out a bunch of different traditions and found some of them just weren't for me and didn't feel like they were really in line with early teachings of the Buddha. Um, so each one of us has to find our, our own way. I got lost what I was saying there. Um, I want to share this piece, this sort of super, the, the revolutionary manifesto from against the stream. Um, some of the things that I put down in here as this sort of statement of the truth, you can see if it resonates. Our human society is founded on confusion, ignorance, and lies. The legacy of violence and greed that our ancestors have left in their wake is the foundation on which we find ourselves standing today. When we commit to the spiritual revolution, we commit to uncovering and developing the truth that has been obscured by the confusion of greed, hatred, and ignorance. Through meditation, wise actions, and service, we will come to understand the importance of generosity, kindness, forgiveness, and compassion. And we will align our life with the truth of total personal responsibility. Serving the truth comes down simply to living life from a place of positive intentions. This may be counterintuitive. In fact, it may be the most radical stance one can take. It means rigorous honesty to ourselves and others. It means doing the right thing, even when everything and everyone in society is telling you to ignore, suppress, or abandon the path of nonviolence, understanding, and care. The truth is that violence is never the answer. There is no winner in violent conflict, only harm caused on both sides. The spiritual revolutionary practices nonviolence. The truth is that selfishness and greed never lead to happiness or contentment. Greed feeds discontent. The spiritual revolutionary practices generosity and service in the face of self-centeredness. The truth is that ignoring or denying the oppression and confusion in the world is part of the problem. If we're not part of the solution, we are the problem. The spiritual revolutionary is engaged with the world and responds to oppression with open eyes and a willingness to protect others and alleviate oppression. At times, this response comes in the form of education, at other times in the form of hands-on nonviolent action. The truth is we are all grieving the losses of the past. Due to impermanence, everything is constantly dying. 
There is sorrow for the loss of all things. The spiritual revolutionary practice is openness to the sorrow of existence, meeting change with understanding and pain with compassion. The truth is that pleasure is addictive. We are all addicted to it. We crave for life to be always pleasant and never painful. The spiritual revolutionary practice is non-attachment, breaking the addiction to the mind and enjoying the pleasure of life as it comes and goes. The truth is that our suffering is optional. In life, pain and pleasure are a given, but we create suffering for ourselves through our clinging to pleasure and our aversion to pain. The spiritual revolutionary practice is radical acceptance, enjoying pleasure when it's present, accepting and caring about pain when it's present. And lastly, the truth is that freedom is possible in each moment and in this very life. We have the ability to let go, to let be, and to respond with care and understanding to what is happening in each moment. So serve the truth. Followed up by a chapter called Beware of Teachers. Good to see everybody tonight. We'll leave it there. Um, class is done by donation. The truth is, Against the Streams, a nonprofit that depends on your generosity to continue to be supported and um, pay the rent. So suggested donation for class is uh, $15 to $20 for a drop-in class. If you can give that, great. If you can give more, great. If you don't have uh, a lot of money, give whatever feels appropriate to you. If you're um, tuning in online, please do offer a donation. There's a link in the uh, chat there. Um, and if you feel inspired and you would like to support against the stream, uh, become a monthly donor. Um, there's a, you, if you're here, you got to go on the website and uh, Zoom, there's a link there to become a recurring monthly donor. It's always been my goal to have enough monthly donors to actually pay the rent. Uh, I don't think it's ever happened yet, but I'm still getting enough, only 20 years in. So at some point, we might get enough monthly donors to actually pay the rent. Um, it would be amazing. So please consider doing that if you, if you can. Um, next weekend is the uh, Joshua Tree Memorial Day three-day silent retreat. Um, if you're going to sign, I think I'm going to close. I, I said this last week, but I'm going to say it again. I think I'm going to close the registration, but I, I didn't close it because a few more people registered. Um, if you want to come to the retreat, register like tonight or tomorrow, because I got to do the room assignments and be finalized with the uh, uh, retreat center. There's information for that on the website, three-day silent retreat, Joshua Tree. It's annual. I think this is my might be 15th year doing this Memorial Day retreat, something like that. We've been doing it for a long time. So uh, join us if you can. I will be here uh, next Monday. Um, on Is that next? No, that's two weeks. Memorial Day is two, two weeks, weeks out. Yeah, two weeks out. Yeah. So you had a couple weeks for that. And I'll be here for the next couple of Mondays. Anyway, see you. Next. I'm not sure where I'm going to. 
Oh, next week will be um, concentration. We're at the eighth factor of the Eightfold Path. So we'll talk about concentration and the jhanas and everyone will get enlightened next week. So don't miss it. <laughs> May any goodness that comes from our practice be gathered and shared outward in all directions. May all beings benefit from our awakening and together may we create a positive change on this planet. Good to see everybody. See you next time. Welcome to the new folks. Thanks for tuning in to the podcast. This is Noah Levine, founder of Against the Stream and Refuge Recovery. If you feel moved to leave a donation, there's a link in the show notes.